1: And I'm Jeff Poling. Tonight, we'll hear this week's LGBTQ plus headlines and upcoming events in our area. But first, we have historian and nouveau photographer and former blooming out personality, Mark Lee, joining us. Thanks for being here, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. We're so excited. Um, And in particular about the exhibit that is going to be and is at the indiana historical society Mm -hmm. right now and it is called a visual journey from aids to marriage equality yes so did you ever think that your photographs that you've spent taking over the years would end up in a exhibit like this oh not at all
2: not at all um has been such a wild ride and such a a privilege to have them there. Um, we, we actually had the preview night, the opening for the exhibit last Thursday, and there were over there were about four hundred people there. And what made it even more fascinating is. These are photos I've taken over the last 30 years, and a lot of the people that were in the photos were actually at the opening. Ah, uh, wonderful. So it was just great to see their reactions and, and see, see 30 years' worth of history in one room.
1: Sure, and, and um, so it is a, it's a, a, an exhibition mm-hmm. of your um, a collection of photography. Yes. Um, and you've basically um, followed uh, the Indiana LGBTQ community over the last 30 years. Yes. So uh, what, what made you decide to do it or, I mean, I know you're a photographer, so you're, so you're collecting these photos anyway, but how did this all come about where someone came up to you and said, Hey, um, we've never done this before. How did that happen?
2: Uh, this exhibit in particular, um, actually, I'm, I'm friends with John Herbst, who's the head of the historical society, and so I approached him about two years ago now um, about doing some sort of exhibit um, just on on gay history. And I wasn't this. It's since been reincarnated to to what you, what we have now. Sure. But anyway, as I talked to him, he was like. Well, you know what? We're actually in the process now of trying to create an LGBT history um, exhibition at our, at our historical society, and I'd love to talk with you about helping put that together. I see. So, so I've been under contract since um, a year ago, August, and um, helping them put together an LGBT history exhibit. And this is spent, uh, this photo exhibit that's open now is the kickoff for the entire thing.
1: Sure, sure. Now, I understand you were a- asked to conduct uh, 20 interviews mm-hmm. in over six months, which you expanded to over 60 interviews yes. during that same time period. And, you, and you, you who did you talk to and what did you talk to people a- about?
2: Yeah, so I started, like I said, a year ago, August, and uh, just since I was only able to talk to a certain amount of people, I tried to. It's from Central central Indiana is where we started, Um, so um, I tried to talk to the widest variety of people I possibly could: uh, black, white, rich, poor, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Just trying to get the best mix of people that I possibly could. So, um, you know, I would, I would, we created a list of people, and then, um, and. And I started out with some a few people that I knew, but like for example in the lesbian community, I didn't know a lot of lesbians. Mm -hmm. So for example, after I was done with one of my initial interviews, um, I said, "Do you know if someone else I can talk to?" So you know, then it just kind of that's how we got to sixty interviews that I conducted. But yeah, Um, but the uh, the interviews last anywhere from one hour to seven hours. Wow.
3: I remember reading that um, a lot of your interviews, as you just kind of said, led mm-hmm. to future interviews. Yes. And also that you kept hearing the same names coming up. They weren't necessarily people you were even familiar with. But there was some commonality of people that the interviewees thought you should talk to. You want to talk a little about that and, like, who kept rising to the surface of, oh, you need to talk to this person? Um not
2: necessarily uh, people I need to talk to Um, one of the final questions I ask people is 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 there anyone who's no longer here that you feel was an important part of our community and so that's where we started getting repeat of names like Reverend Howard Warren or Stan Berg or Chris Gonzalez these are all people that were an important part of our community that people felt other people should know about Um, and so those are the names that just kept coming up again and again Um, and they're are certainly people that are still here that um, as I was talking with people, everyone was going, well, you know, you really should talk to this person like I already have. But like uh, Kathy Ceres or uh, Chris, uh, Chris Douglas, um, Colby Palmer is another one. He, was, he originated the bag ladies. Um, and then people like that, so yeah. Um, and actually in the most fascinating interviews that I did were pretty much with the transgender community.
1: Now I w- I was I was reading. Um, of course, you've been covered in in a through a, cu- a couple from a couple of different publications, mm-hmm. um, Nouveau and Unite, um, and I was reading about how that played a very special part in in the the project, um, and how you felt that it was very important for. One of the is it one of the two walls have their own um, ex- exhibit or they're they're featured and one of those is is transgender. Am I okay. understanding that? The,
2: the exhibit is at the, it's on the fourth floor of the Indiana Historical Building and it's the entire floor. Um, and there's there are four main areas um, that I was able to focus, you know, um, come up with themes for. So, um, there's, it starts with AIDS, then bag ladies, then indie pride, and it ends with marriage equality. In the meantime, on, on either side, on either side, it's, it's kind of a rectangular room. So those, those compensate for the, the long part of the rectangle. And on the short side of the rectangle, uh, on one side we had a tribute to five individuals who are no longer here mm-hmm. um, and that so they each had their own space and then on the other side was yeah looking to our future so that was the transgender community I see and just trying to you know this is where our community's headed well I um,
1: I have not been to okay. the exhibit yet um, after talking to you and reading um, about it I'm so excited and I feel that we are all really fortunate to to bring this to life and and what you've done it has really it it it's it been an it it by having this happen is actually a part of lgbtq history in mm-hmm. our state it, it's kind of a like we've arrived do you do you, oh, do you feel like
2: that definitely and yeah, i i had to give a speech my opening uh, on the opening night and and one of the last things I told people is that this exhibit—it's not about me. It's about our community. It's about the people within our community, and just really just showing all the things that we've been through over the last thirty years, and 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 uh, some of the people that were there. A lot of the people that were there on the opening night were actually on the walls. Their you know their their photos are up, and so many of them were just broke down in tears, just seeing it all come together, and. For me, I, that was probably the best part. Like, for example, the the people we pay tribute to. One of them is, is a gentleman by the name of Paul Chase, um, who's lived here in Bloomington for years. Um, he was an HIV advocate, and then um, after he did work with HIV, he went on to work for Alzheimer's and then children. And a year ago, or well, when in when marriage equality became a reality in Indiana for that two and a half day period of time, before it was permanently a reality, um, he ended up being, a, being killed in a tragic car accident. Um, he was pulling out of gas station T-boned and um, leaving behind his partner of 40 years. And so his partner was there and his mother and all these you know, friends and family members were, were there to see, see this tribute to him. But uh, his, his mother sent me an email shortly after just saying that, you know, how much she loved the photograph I had of her son. And she just wanted to lay there on the floor and just, just stay there with him. She just I, loved it that much. So. I,
1: I understand that um, that's one of the things that, that you did or have done, mm-hmm. that you have been giving five by seven photos to family members of
2: um... uh, that was especially back during the you know, early day of AIDS mm-hmm. um when I was losing, I I lost my entire core group of friends by the time I was 31 and just you know as as I went to all these different funerals if I had a a picture of the of the person who passed away then I would you know make a make a copy of that picture and then give it to family members or put it inside the casket and then being buried with them or something along those lines but sure Yeah, just something that they can remember him by.
1: Do you or have you found that, um, you you know, you talked about how important it is. One of the reasons we're doing this is so that the legacy can be shared Mm -hmm. with younger population. Um, Maybe uh, some of them who have not been through this maybe know it through friends or parents' stories or, or things like that. Um, d- have you found so far a, a wide age range of people wanting to come and see the exhibit?
2: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, actually... Uh, Sorry, I'll, I'll make it quick because I know we're going to a commercial break or something along those lines. But um, sure. one, one of the... People I paid tribute to in the, in the AIDS exhibit was a gentleman by the name of Mark Wright, and um, his brother and sister were there, uh, which I was expecting, I mean, his sister flew in from, from Florida, but what, what I wasn't expecting was his nephews were there as well, and his nephews came up to me in tears, and they were 12 and seven when he passed away, so they never really had a chance to see him when he was healthy or remember him from, from when, during that time period. So just being able to see their, their uncle up there on the wall, and it's because I had a picture of him when he was healthy, then seven years later when he was a week before he died, when he was just you know, 80 pounds less or something. Sure. Um, but just to be able to see, see that tribute really moved them. and So it was something that they were proud to be a part of.
3: Thanks, Mark. We're gonna take a quick music break before we get back into our conversation with Mark Lee. Um, there have been a couple of, there have been more than a couple of songs that have been what are referred to as gay anthems. But this song is one of the earliest ones. I, M1AM is a song originally introduced in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical La Caja Faux. The, com, the composer, Jer- Jerry Herman, also did the scores for hit Broadway musicals Hello Dolly and Mame. Gloria Gaynor covered it, and her version became one of the rallying cries for the gay pride movement, the other being her 1978 smash I Will Survive. Here is I Am What I Am by Gloria Gaynor.
4: I am what I am. I am my own special creation. So come take a look. Give me the hook or the ovation. It's mine. Not a place I have to hide in Life's not worth a damn Till you can say
5: Support for Blooming Out comes from Indiana University Health Bloomington. IU Health Bloomington provides hospital-based specialty care as well as community health services like Positive Link, a care coordination site for people living with HIV-AIDS. Positive Link offers confidential HIV testing as well as HIV prevention education. To learn more about Positive Link, you may call 812-353-9150 or visit iuhealth.org bloomington.
1: And this is Blooming t- Blooming Out on WFHB. We are back with historian, nouveau photographer, and former Blooming Out personality, Mark Lee. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you.
3: <laughs> hey, Mark. You and I went to Indiana University about the same time. Mm-hmm. I was reading. We hung out at the same place, Bullwinkles. <laughs> didn't everybody? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> didn't, literally, didn't everybody <laughs> back in that day. Um, why don't you explain, especially to the younger people listening, what it was like when we were going out to a club in Bloomington, Danny in the 1980s?
2: Um, I actually, well, I snuck into Bullwinkles before I turned 21. Don't do that, children, ever. <laughs> um, so I did that. But I remember, I mean, the first time I went into Bullwinkles, I was scared to death, Um you know, I was, I was scared people might recognize me, or I, I didn't know what to expect when I got in there. So I made a beeline for the bar the moment I got there, and just kind of sat at the bar. And I'm looking around, and I pick up a copy of the Works Magazine, uh, which was a gay publication at the time. And it's just, um, I'm, I'm looking through it, uh, just trying to calm my nerves a bit. When I came across this article on GRID, Gay-Related Immune Deficiency, um, they didn't have the name AIDS at the time it was just called Grid and I was talking about how it was this strange disease was killing people who were in New York and San Francisco and all I can think was great I've been gay for about two minutes now and already there's something <laughs> out killing us so um, yeah that was that was my introduction to gay life here in Bloomington at the time uh, but you know it was a, there was a dance bar um, I I love to dance, and you know, um, Purple Rain comes to mind. Oh, doves don't cry. That's the song I would clear the dance for. For <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah. So there was dancing, and there was all, and there were also drag shows, and that's when I first met Vicky Lane um, back at the time. So yeah, it was this. I learned to love it, but that's just, just that first time was this very nerve wracking, just trying to. You know fit in and see what was there so
3: yeah, tell it tell us about um well basically your coming out story since we're, we're talking about a lot of others on the wall and what their experiences with discovering mm-hmm. themselves was like um what was your experience like your personal experience I
2: basically came out to myself um my freshman year and then uh friends the next year and then my family the, the year after that and um From the time I was in seventh grade on, um, I felt called to the ministry. So I spent the first couple years really grappling with, you know, trying to reconcile my religion with my sexuality and do all that before I came out to my parents. Um, Came out to my sister first and my brother, and then she told my brother. And they both said, whatever you do, don't tell mom or dad or, you know, if you have to tell one of them, tell mom because dad will have a heart attack and die and it'll be on your shoulders. <laughs> I'm like, no, because I knew that dad had been trying to ask me, like over, you know, he kept trying to ask me. And mom would always shut him up. So I knew he knew. Um, but I, I called him up and, you know, we came, he came down here to Bloomington. We went to Chi Chi's, uh, which was a, res- a Mexican restaurant at the time. I remember Chi Chi's, yeah, had— the gayest waiter i've seen in my entire life and i'm like really so can you just give us five minutes with somebody butch uh it didn't quite work so i almost chickened out almost didn't tell him why i wanted him to come down there and all of a sudden he was just like look if we don't have this conversation right here now don't ever expect us to have this conversation again and so i told him and he he said that he did know um you know that mom and mom didn't want to know but she, um uh, but he always knew and um he told me how proud he was of me for being so honest and it was the first time he ever thought of me as his son. And which that was just Wow. Total opposite of what I thought it I mean, I was I was literally preparing to just be disowned and trying to figure out ways I can pay for college on my own and all that. So that's part of the reason I almost chickened out because I was like, I can't afford this. Um But, yeah, so it was a great reaction. And then he went home, and he called my brother and sister. He told them how proud he was of me. And they were like, well, how's mom doing? And, oh, she's crying right now, but she'll be okay. So mom talked him into sending me to a doctor uh, so I can be cured. And uh, I decided, well, if they're going to pay for me to go psychologist, then I might as well find one that I actually like. So I went to three different doctors that first week. And the very last one I went to, I was kind of sick of the whole process. But I sat down on his couch, and he looked at me and said, well, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I'm gay, and my parents want me to be cured. And he laughed and said, poof, you're cured. <laughs> I said, <laughs> said, now, what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> I, said, nice. I was like, okay, you're it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: That's great. So then you, you were at IU. Mm-hmm. Where did your trajectory take you after leaving IU?
2: Um, actually, backing up, right, yes. bef- right before I left IU, yeah. um, I was with a partner. It was not a good relationship. But the, uh, I met a person who wrote a book on Stonewall, and he was teaching a graduate class at the time on gay history at at NYU and so I I made the mistake of telling my partner at the time that I wanted to go to NYU and mm-hmm. take this graduate course in gay history and he just went ballistic because he was deep in the closet he didn't want anyone to know I was gay because that might mean that people would know he was gay blah 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 so he just went ballistic and was just like you know if you if you do that people, you're just gonna be the laughingstock of a, of a scholars everywhere and you're never going to get a job no one's going to hire you and I'm like well it's taken me 30 years but I think I just proved him wrong um so (laughs) so, yeah but um anyway so but after so I dumped him left IU and then um ended up riding my bicycle from LA to New York uh to raise money and awareness for long-term solutions to world hunger and then I came home and started. I uh, worked for a photography studio and just kind of went from there.
3: And you've been in Indianapolis since that point.
2: Indianapolis, yes. yes,
3: yes. So, what was the? Just to digress a little bit, what was the experience of riding your bike cross country <laughs> from LA to New York like?
2: It was a great way to see the country. I loved it. Uh, I, we start out slow. We start out like thirty miles a day. Worked up to seventy, and by the end of the country, we're going a hundred miles a day just to get it over with. Oh. But, but uh, there are five routes altogether um, from as far up north as Portland, and then down to, to LA, where we started. And we all the groups met up in DC and went from there to New York. But up until a week before the bike raids started, um, the LA group didn't have enough people signed up. So they, only had, they ended up only having the first four days of our accommodations set up for us. So we were just on the fly the whole time, just you know, calling ahead to whatever city we were going to, trying to find some place to stay. So we stayed in Eagles Lodges, Elks Lodges, YMCA's, and a couple of people's homes. So it was just, like I said, it was just a great way to, great experience. And we, we worked a lot with the homeless communities throughout the nation as we went across, and just a great experience.
3: Sounds like a wonderful experience.
2: And the joke at the time was that I took Pictures of cows across America. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be your next book? There, <laughs> there you go. I told them I can make that my next exhibit, but they didn't go for it. So, all right. So then, when you when you finish that,
1: and mm. and you it 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 brought you back to Indianapolis. Yes, and you you where where did you find yourself at that point were you do you feel like you were you were starting from the the ground up um and also when did the when did the photography kick in
2: photography started right out of right out of high school and before college and so i took a photography class here at iu and then uh decided i wanted to learn on my own so i got my own dark room room equipment and um just started doing it on my own, but it wasn't until a year after I left IU back in, in 87, there was a gentleman by the name of Mark Wright who spoke at my church on AIDS in the Caring Church, and because of that talk, I became friends with both him and Michael Hendren, who was his partner at the time, and I became a volunteer buddy at the Damien Center, and so I ended up being a, a buddy there for the next seven years, and then—and—and um, Then I moved in with Mark Wright uh, to take care of him with with what ended up being the last two weeks of his life. But it was because of that experience with the Damien Center and and, uh, having friends die during that whole time period, that's what really made me focus my photography so that because I really wanted to be able to capture what that time was like and what what my friends were like and what these people were like and just um, really just trying to capture that period of our history.
3: Something I was, in some of the research I was reading, I'm not sure if it's a quote from you, but we're talking about the fact that, uh, I don't know if it's this exhibit or your new exhibit, was built around the fact that a lot of the gay men in particular Mm -hmm. our age have lived their lives in reverse. Would you like to talk about that? I found that fascinating.
1: Yes, I
6: agree.
2: Yeah, I was. Just, um, it was for an article I wrote for Nuvo, I was just talking about, and then again for Traces Magazine, um, I was talking about how men of our generation, men, men in our fifties, basically lived our lives backwards. We dealt with death and dying in our twenties, and thirties, and um, and then our thirties and forties. Uh, we started adopting kids, and now in our fifties and sixties, we're getting married. So, <laughs> so it's just right, exact opposite of our you know heterosexual counterparts, but yeah so anyway, and that's that's basically the opening quote of my my exhibit that's it's on its own separate little wall, and then that leads people into the rest of the exhibit so
3: so do you think that framework will be eye opening or or be a revelation to a lot of people that didn't live our lives?
2: I think it has been yeah okay. um Immediately after the exhibit opened, I mean, my Facebook just blew up with photographs and comments and things like that. But one that was that was probably the most popular wall that people photographed was that that quote. It really hit home for people. So yeah, I think it it touched a nerve with a lot of people. Yeah. Of, of our generation and others, well, younger that- generations also really liked it and found it profound. So yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, talk about the, the, the names project, um, and and how well. In addition to, you know, th- this exhibit, you have got there, which has a fifty foot section of the mile long rainbow flag mm-hmm. that was carried in New York during the twenty fifth anniversary of the Stonewall riots. And I right. understand you were carrying that.
2: Yes. So, yeah, the the rainbow flag. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Like you said, it was a mile long, and I was uh, you paid like fifty bucks to, for the privilege to be able to carry it, and really? then they sent you a small section of that flag. Gotcha. And so it was just like a foot wide, and then the whole, you know, all the all the different colors. And so I, I got that for myself, and then um, back in two thousand seven, I made a short, I made a film on documentary on same sex couples who've been together for ten years or more, and um, I found out in the before we started filming, that absolute vodka had this huge section that was about, um, well, 14 feet wide and 30 feet long. Sure. And um, and so they donated to us for the backdrop for this um, filming that we did for the documentary, and said that I can keep it if we had like a gay lesbian center or something like that that we can hang it up in. Right. Well, I. I've held on to it in hopes that one day we actually will have an LGBT center that we can hang it up in. But in the meantime, they were able to hang it um, as part of the exhibit. So being able to walk in and see portions of the quilt were downstairs and then see this huge flag hanging from the fourth floor down to the um, third floor was just absolutely incredible to see. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people, no one knew. Since we're running we a little short see.
3: on time, there's one thing we definitely want to touch on. Uh, sitting here on the table with us is a book by a dear friend of mine, Susan Ferentino's inter- Interpreting LGBT History at Museums and Historic Sites. Mm-hmm. Now I understand you're speaking with Sue next week. Yes. On one this week issue. From today. And would you, we don't have a lot of time, but just like to explain why it's important that our history be represented at historic sites and places like the Indiana History Museum.
2: Um. John Herbst, who's the head of a, of the historical society probably said it best when um, he was he was giving his speech before mine just basically I mean, they're, they're always looking for gaps in in history so so for example a few years ago um, they found a gap in the you know Jewish history and then again in black history and so they've been you know so they've they made a point to set out and find you know get more gather more information on each of those you know portions of our of our communities, of our yeah, and so then they did the same thing, they're doing the same thing right now with with gay history, and so it's just real so that you know, fifty to hundred years from now, people have a much better idea of what it's like to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender during this period of our history, and that's just it's so important that we don't whitewash it. I mean. F- for me, uh, you know, like that—that that really came to fr- fruition with with AIDS. I mean, with with just you know people trying to brush it underneath the rug or you know pretend it wasn't there, pretend it didn't happen. And you can't do that. You can't just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen because it was such a huge part of our community. And so to be able to bring that forward and show and remind remind people people of what that time was like, to me is very important well you were quoted you said
1: that you think it made a lot of people politically active
2: yes and not just gay people but their their loved ones you know family members parents and
3: yeah well unfortunately we're out of time i wish we had a lot more time to talk to you mark thanks so much for joining us on living out well thank you for having
1: me thanks mark You Make Me Feel Mighty Real is the title of a 1978 single by American disco singer Sylvester. Known for his flamboyant and androgynous appearance, he became known in the United States under the moniker of the Queen of Disco. The track was originally recorded as a mid-tempo piano-driven gospel tune. However, after the producer saw a rehearsal of the song at San Francisco City Disco, he offered to remix the song. The result was one of the... the pioneering disco records using electronic instrumentation and effects. Sylvester later recorded four more albums, including the high-energy track Do You Want to Funk. Sylvester was an activist who campaigned against the spread of HIV-AIDS and died from complications arising from the virus in 1988. Here is You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester.
5: Support for Blimbing Out comes from the Center for Sexual Health Promotion in the School of Public Health at Indiana University. The center is dedicated to progressive research that contributes to society's understanding of sexuality and to training the next generation of sexual health professionals. For information about degree programs or research opportunities, you may visit the center on the web at sexualhealth.indiana.edu. Support for WFHB and Blooming Out also comes for the, from The Back Door, downtown Bloomington's queerest bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there's something for everyone every day of the week. The Back Door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. For more information, you can find it on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com.
0: This is Rain Shaddy, the producer of Blooming Out on WFHB. Thank you for listening to this previously aired show with hosts Jeff Jewell and Jeff Pulling. As many of you are aware, this is Pride Month for the LGBT community. We would like to air some of the voices from last weekend's Spencer Pride Festival. Here is Suzanne Westenhofer, Greg Bukowski, and Argenta Perone. So
1: we are so excited. It is Spencer Pride, 10th anniversary and we are halfway through Spencer Pride's celebration and we have enjoyed this day so much. We are fortunate to have Suzanne Westenhofer here. She's been the MC of this momentous, lovely occasion. And I just want to find out how much fun you've been having.
7: Okay, I've actually been having a great time. There's a couple of things I want you to realize. Just started to storm a little while ago, so everybody snaked out. Everybody left, okay? There's only about 40, 50 of us left, and we're hanging tough, but we are, this pride is happening. Now, my concerns are thusly. The next big act that we're supposed to introduce is a drag show. It's a bunch of drag queens doing a big show, which everyone's excited for. Everyone's looking forward to it, but it's still drizzling my thought is those drag queens are gone they're not performing for us because drag queens nobody wants to be a wet drag queen <laughs> and i'm afraid they're gone and i am going to have to go out and tell the last people left who've been waiting through all this mm-hmm. there's right. no drag queens and it's going to be ugly there might be a death tonight <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, my, I, that's my,
1: my thought. I, I, I don't blame you one bit you wouldn't i would never ever want to tell a group of wet um... Homosexuals. <laughs> Wet homos, uh, that, yeah, there is no drag show. But, you know, I think the, like, like they say, the show must go on. I think the drag show must always go on, right?
7: I, listen, I'm all for it, but I, for example, they 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 were supposed to go on. I'm going to say about five ten minutes ago. Do you even see a drag queen?
1: No, but this is the usual drag time, right?
7: There, I think no. I think they I think they they ran away. <laughs> they did. They went. Oh no, it's wet. This will fuck up my boa. Oh sorry, and they're out. <laughs>
1: Beep. Um, but uh, the well, the running of mascara it, it would just. I uh,
7: just went and had. I checked my mascara. I redid my lipstick. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> okay, you gotta, you gotta butch it out.
1: Okay? okay, girls, are you here? Are you listening to this? If if Suzanne can do it, so can you. So get your. Get, get, your get, your, get your stilettos on stage right now.
7: Vicky. on. You can do
1: it hey. Vicky, Vicky, we are so happy. Come over here and say hi to us. This is Blooming Out, WFHB, and we are talking with Suzanne Westenhofer here, and we just wanted to bring you in to say hi, and we're really uh, happy to see you. Thank you. I am happy to be here, of Yay. course. Oh, God, it's been such a wonderful day, regardless of this silly, you know, weather. A right. little
8: rain might melt, but I'll still look good. Hey, you know,
1: <laughs> we're like, <we're>, you know. <laughs> We're loving rain. We, it could be raining men. We, you
6: know, we don't get, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: bring them on. <laughs> bring them on. Yay! Thank you, sweetie.
7: Thank Thanks you. for
1: being here.
0: I'm Ryan Shaddy with Blooming Out here on WFHB. And uh, this is Jeff Poling. We're so happy to be here today at Spencer Pride. It might be a little rainy outside, which it is. But we're not giving up. But we're not giving up. No, sir. No, sir. special guest, Suzanne Westenhopper.
7: Hi, guys. Yeah, I know. There's no way. We're not giving up. No. We, uh, it is raining. Um, it's not storming. No. Uh, no. There's no, no hail. Nope. There's Hail no. no. Hail no. <laughs> so we're like we're just hanging tough. Now, the problem, like we have mentioned, is that the next thing that's supposed to perform, the next thing is the big drag show. Right. Um, traditionally, we know that drag queens will not get wet. Right. The Nor, and they will not, yes. To be. Correct. But, but
1: we have a drag queen on deck. Do
7: we? We have Do a drag we? queen on deck.
0: Oh, I thought you were
7: talking about me there for a minute. No, um, actually, no. I don't. I don't think I. I do, the lovely I don't think, Miss Vicky. I don't think she's gonna do that though. Oh, really? Because it's she's raining. Hosting. She's hosting. We yes, don't, she that's not, not have... the same as performing. What I'm telling you is. Oh, sure. Your, your drag queens have made they they, they, they no have way. standards, and one of those standards is we will not perform wet. So it could happen that uh, we do a poetry reading.
1: That would be something different. For a drag show, and um,
7: I don't know any poetry to you.
1: <laughs> Not any that we can broadcast on WFHB, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and still keep our FCC license. <laughs>
7: He had to- some... <gasps> Never mind. I know. I know. Right, right. We don't have anything. Yeah, we're so probably. We're hoping for the drag show. Yeah, music's happening. And being that
1: there's disco in the
7: background, there's that's hope. That's a good. That's a first symbol. There's that's hope. A first, there's hope. The first signal that there is life is that there is drag. Yes. It's, I know, I think it's awesome. Going to be amazing. It's awesome. It just the- needs to start. Like, just needs to, to slow down, ring. Just, just long enough to get the drag queens out here.
1: Right. Right.
7: Then yeah. I think. This is when um, lesbians should start to think of some group or organization, something they can do that's like drag. And I'm not talking drag kings, but it could be. Maybe drag kings could start be standing in the wings at pride events, waiting for rain. And then if it rains and the drag queens go, nope, we're out. The drag kings can be all like, I love that. We got this. I love it. I'm just saying, why don't we start that as like a thing? The backup. Backup. Backup drag queens, drag kings. Backup, yeah. They don't have to worry about makeup. Right?
0: It wouldn't matter. You're a half a step ahead. For joining us, Suzanne. Thank you,
8: guys. Thank you. We're
0: at Spencer Pride with Greg Bukowski of uh, Gregifer Knits. huh?
8: Yes. Uh, So the story behind the name in undergrad, friends of mine would call me Gregifer. So it's like Christopher, but instead of Chris, it's Greg. And then I knit, so I just made that my business name.
0: Awesome, and what got you out here to Spencer Pride today?
8: So I go to school in Bloomington, so Spencer's not too far away. And I'm actually friends with people that are on the board of directors, and I also volunteer for Spencer Pride. So I figured why not be a vendor while enjoying the festivities.
0: What is it about a small town um, and this size of a of a of a festival, I mean, we did before the spring started today. I th- think we hit 1,500 going
8: around. It's not too bad. No, from what I've heard. So this is actually my first Spencer Pride. Um, I've only been in Indiana two years, but from what I've heard, that's actually pretty normal. I think for maybe a few more than usual. Uh, being from the East Coast, it's very surprising when small-town Midwest gets a bunch of people out together for something that's not very common.
0: So it's been a great day other than the weather. Uh, I see some vendors are starting to pack up. Are you going to stick this out for a little bit?
8: No, everything of mine's packed up. Unfortunately, fabric and rain don't mix, especially when the wind comes in sideways, so even the canopy doesn't do anything. Uh, I got most of it out before it got too wet, but I think I'm going to transition from business owner to Spencer Pride Volunteer.
0: What made you get involved? I mean, you're from New Jersey, so what made you think about getting involved in this small little town's uh, Pride Committee?
8: Well, I figured it'd be a little easier given my time constraints with my what I do as a career. So, and I wanted to get involved and, you know, meet new people. You know, there's only so many ways you can meet new people nowadays, so I figured why not get involved in something that's important to me and relevant to me.
0: One of my favorite last questions that I like to ask every now and then is describe Spencer Pride in three words.
8: Hmm, family, cute, fun.
0: You heard it from Greg Bukowski right here on Blooming Out about how Spencer Pride is family cute and fun. So those are some great three words to describe this entire day and uh, we are glad to have Greg here on board with us today. We're back here at Spencer Pride once again with the people's diva Argento Peron. I just like doing that, you know, it's it's something you get used to when you go to the back door all over the time. Well, yeah, I mean I think it's, it's, it's a great name to roll. It does roll. It rolls right off of your tongue. And when you're a radio personality, it does it even more. Anyway, enough about me, more about you. So, oh, just like you like it, and I know. Yes, let's <laughs> always talk about me. So, uh, we're here again at Spencer Pride. This is Blooming Out on WFHB. And it's been such a rainy day, but what do you think brings all of these fine folks out here to a community such as Spencer and makes them come... And my gosh, see the drag queens on the courthouse square. Um, honestly, I think it's pride.
9: And pride is a big thing. I think it's this place for all of us to come and be who we are. And I think a small community like this having a pride is great because it tells the people in these kind of rural settings that it's okay to be exactly who you want to be.
0: You know, it's been a while since they've actually had any uh, too much form, form of hate. One year they, they had... Uh, Some tax thrown down behind cars and another year, some hate words, but it's been a few years now. And I still notice a few strange looks here and there by the the townspeople who drive by. But overall, this is a pretty family-friendly atmosphere. People, I think, around here have gotten used to this in its 10th year.
9: Yeah. I think the climate overall in the U.S. is changing. Um, I think we're all changing, and I think the ability to kind of accept people for who they are is changing. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on along, along the lines of the transgender bathroom issue, but I think marriage equality and all of that stuff being legalized,
0: like it's made, it's made people take notice. I've definitely noticed some families out here that I didn't think 10 years ago you would notice out here at all, and here they are marching around with their children, uh, having drag queens hand them tips, I, uh, the, uh, never mind, scratch that, reverse it. <laughs> It's a spectacle,
9: man. Like that's drag is drag is an art form, but most importantly, it's a spectacle. It's something we do. It's fun. We're having a good time. We love the children. Um, you know, they mostly think we're clowns, but that's fine. I can do some magic
0: tricks later. It's a a true art form, and being able to do the stuff out there in heels. My gosh, heels in the wet weather. How do you do it? Well,
9: I don't wear actual heels. I wear character shoes.
8: (laughs) Oh, oh, me with heels? I've been walking in heels since I was six. So, okay, I'm next. So I got (laughs) to (laughs) go.
9: But, yeah, um, I mean, I I wear character shoes. I knew it was going to rain, so I was like, let me put on something easy to walk in. But, I mean, you do it. You train yourself.
0: We do this. For a living. And you watch Mocha throw down the freaking umbrella <laughs> and then do flips. Yeah. Which I halfway think she's gonna break a bone about nine times out of ten. She never does. But yeah. again, this is this is just an amazing show here. Um that would you, you did hear briefly from tia mirage there for a second so sorry about that folks you heard that wonderfully fantastic voice talking about heels uh one last question and this is my again i i've asked this to everybody i've interviewed today describe spencer pride in your three words family fun and gay Family, fun, and gay. Those are the words straight out of the mouth of the people's diva, Argenta Perone. You've been listening to some of the voices that were found at the Spencer Pride Festival this past Saturday. Up next is another music break. Our last song has become a huge gay
1: anthem since its release four years ago. Born This Way by Lady Gaga is the lead single from her second studio album of the same name and was developed while she was on the road with the Monster Ball tour. Inspired by the 1990s empowering music for women and the gay community, Gaga explained that Born This Way was her freedom song. The verses talk about empowerment while the chorus talks about making no apologies and accepting one as themselves. It features the names of LGBT and other minority communities, which was due to the support Gaga had received from the community over the years. She also explained that since her previous releases did not directly address those communities, Born This Way was her chance to create something that not only supported her political and social beliefs, but also empowered her to artistically say, I'm not being safe with this record. I'm not trying to gain new fans. I love the fans I already have, and this is for them. Here's Lady Gaga and Born This Way.
4: Just be a queen Mm. Give yourself prudence and love your friends Subway can rejoice with truth
0: Here's a roundup of upcoming LGBTQ events in Bloomington and surrounding communities. The Circle City IN Pride Festival is this Saturday, June 11th, presented by Delta. The day kicks off with the Cadillac Barbie Pride Parade in downtown Indianapolis. Three entertainment stages, multiple food vendors, and various other exhibits will encompass the Indiana War Memorial Grounds. More information about the event can be found at circlecityimpride.org or by visiting Facebook. The Indiana Fever will
1: hold Diversity Night, a fundraiser for the Indiana Youth Group, on Friday, June the 10th at 7 p.m. when the fever takes on the Chicago sky at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. This game has been designated a Lucas Oil Family Night presented by IndyStar.com. Included with this ticket is a complimentary food voucher for a hot dog, chips, and a drink, as well as a fever hat. You may purchase discounted tickets as a group, and portions of this ticket will go back to IYG. You can find those tickets at www.fevergroups.com slash IYG.
0: Also on June 10th, the back door will once again hold Bloomington Pride's lip sync battle to raise money for this year's Summerfest. Entry is $5, then your dollars count as votes for your favorite cont- contestants. The top three lip-syncing fundraisers then compete for the Audience Choice Award to decide who will be crowned this year's winner. As always, all funds raised go directly to the cause. Stay for the dance party afterwards. Doors open at 8:30, show at 9:30. More information can be found on the Backdoors Facebook page. Free and confidential HIV testing
1: will be provided by Positive Link at the IU-GLBT Student Support Service Office from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. on Thursday, June the 16th.
0: The Shining Light Gala will be held on June 18th in the NCAA Grand Ballroom in Indianapolis. The gala is a benefit to shine a light of hope and awareness on LGBTQ youth suicide. There will be a performance by LGBT pioneer and activist Sandra Bernhard. General admission dinner and show are $85 per person, and the VIP cocktail reception with Sandra is $125. You can purchase tickets at indianyouthgroup.org
1: All the links for the events listed above can also be found in the events section on our website, bloomingout.com. If you would like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812 812- Tweet us at Blooming Out WFHB, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy, and our
0: board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. For Blooming Out, I'm Jeff Poling. And I'm Ryan Shaddy. From all of us here at Blooming Out, we wish you a safe and happy Pride Month. Be out loud and proud. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or listen to us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.